So this, this, this morning, we're going to look at um, a really curious story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You can turn it if you want to. We won't read the whole thing. We'll just kind of try to walk through it. It's a really, really odd story, and it's going to lead us to a really, really interesting question. So we're going to tell the story. It's got all kinds of strange, strange twists, um, really weird events in it. And then at the end, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a hard question. It might be um, it's hard for me to ask. It's going to be hard for you to answer. Here's the deal. The story that we're going to tell has this really dramatic conclusion where this king looks at his wife and says the words that every man wants to say to his wife. You are a freaking idiot. I'm paraphrasing. It's not actually in the Bible like that, right? What he says is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. Let me read it for you now, and when I get done, you'll be like, yeah, that sounds a lot like you're a freaking idiot. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor by them. It's a lot like you're a freaking idiot, I know. So let's just start here, okay? Let's just work our way through um, the backstory before we get to that verse. First, we're going to start with a dead body and a mad king. Now, here's what's going on in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Um, have you ever, you ever lost something? The things that we talked about, um, you really cherish them, you love them, you can't find them again. For, for the people of Israel, there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? It's going to sound like Bible class, but I just going to make sure you understand what this is. It was an actual ark, and it actually contained the presence of God, things that God had done in their life. Um, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, then you've seen that infamous scene where they opened it and, you know, um, he's like, don't look at it, close your eyes. And everybody's faces are melting off because the presence of God comes out of the ark. That's what this was. There's this actual Ark of the Covenant. It's supposed to be in Jerusalem, but it's not because it's been stolen by some enemy that's got it where they have it. And David's the king. He wants to bring that thing back to Jerusalem. And he's got this really great idea. Let's go get it. Let's bring it back. Now, in our family, I was thinking about things that we've lost over time. Things that we wish that we could have gotten back. And the thing I thought of right away was Sydney and Brown Kitty. Because I don't know how you were when you were growing up. You probably had a stuffed animal as well. But Sydney had, she loved stuffed kitties. And she would name every one of them. And they were really unique names like Gray Striped Kitty. Because it had gray stripes. And then Brown Kitty. Because it was brown. Brown Kitty, she went everywhere, Brown Kitty. It was inseparable. But all, it seemed like all the time she would leave Brown Kitty places. Like, and I've, I've gotten some phone calls, right? Some people here that, hey, you know, my child loves such and such, and we really need to get that back, or they're going to kill somebody, right? You've you got to get that thing back. And she would hold on to Brown Kitty all the time, and she'd start leaving them places. I remember one night, um, here's how it works at our house. We put the kids to bed. Winnie and I watch a little TV, and then we'll eventually kind of fall asleep, and you get up, you kind of stumble, and like, did we lock the door? Did we not lock the door? I remember one time, Sydney's probably like five. She's, she's already asleep. She's in bed, and um, I go up to lock the front door, and as I'm locking the front door, I turn to walk back towards my bedroom, and I saw on the blue couch, there's Brown Kitty, and I don't know what you do with toys. I talk to toys. Especially if there's nobody else in the room, right? And I'm just like, what are you doing there, brown kitty? 
brown kitty didn't say anything back. You know, it's late. And I don't care. I'm stumbling back, stumbling back to my bed, and I get into bed, and I'm like, that's weird. Usually Sydney has brown kitty with her, and brown kitty's up anyway. I'm, I'm fast asleep till about 1, 1 30 in the morning, and I get woken up with this. Help! Dad! Where's brown kitty? I sat up in the bed, you know, and I go walking into Sydney's room. I'm like, what, what? Where's Brown Kitty? She's just bawling. And suddenly dawned on me, I knew where Brown Kitty was. He's on the couch. And I turned to her and said, I know right where Brown Kitty is. It was more like this. I know right where Brown Kitty is. And so I turned and I went to get Brown Kitty and I got Brown Kitty. I'm talking to Brown Kitty. I'm like, I found you, Brown Kitty. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm the man, right? And I went back in, and she was asleep. <laughs> so I, I just sat Brown Kitty in the bed and went. I couldn't even wake Wendy up. I wanted to wake Wendy. Let me tell you what I did. I'm amazing, right? You know, this is kind of how David was. Like, we got to get the ark back. We've got to find a way to get the ark. And he's, David's like all of you and me. God has a way of getting this thing back, and David has a better way. You ever done that to God? He tells you maybe what you should do. You know what you read. Well, I know it's, I know it's what the Bible says. That's an old book, right? We're so much better today. We've got technology. We've got you version. They didn't have you. I'm going to do it this way. And so David, who knows what he's supposed to do, he knows that what he's actually supposed to do is have that ark carried on poles by men from where it was back to Jerusalem. But instead, because David is like brilliant, he builds a cart with wheels, no poles. He's like, we got this. We're going to multitask because we are Americans, right? America, here we go. So they start taking it back, and lo and behold, it hits a bump. Stanley County Roads probably. It kind of tilts a little bit. It starts to fall off, and this guy reaches his hand out to stop it. Brilliant move, and he's dead. Now, I don't know what you do at that point. Like, Ark 2.0 failed, right? David is watching this man die. David gets to go tell somebody else, like a family, hey, your husband, he's dead. Well, what was he doing? Was he fighting? <clears throat> well, kind of. It was a bump. He put his hand out and stopped the ark, and God killed him. That's where David is. Leading up to the verse that we read. Listen, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. Here's what David said. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, all of us would have said the same thing. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? If the presence of God is going to be killing people, how can I get the presence of God? Are you kidding me, God? This is his prayer time. I'm trying to do you a favor, and you're killing people over it? Here's what happened in David's life. In that moment, God went from being David's homeboy back to being David's holy God. That's a big deal. He's mad. You ever been mad at God because your life has fallen apart? I have. Next question. Have you ever been mad at God because your life fell apart, but the more you got mad at God, the more you realized it fell apart because you had done something? That's where David is. Like, I can't believe you would kill that man. He's just trying to do something good. And God's in heaven going, I can't believe you built a cart. 
I told you what to do. Like, get some poles, carry it back in. You won't hit bumps. It won't fall. Nobody has to die. That's where David is. David did what we should do. He was at least smart enough. Um, we say Psalm 46.10 a lot. It's a verse that says, be still and know that I'm God. So David doesn't quite know how to get the presence of God, how to get the ark back to Jerusalem. So instead of just trying something, instead of trying harder, you ever done the same thing, just a little harder and it messes up just as much? David at least was smart enough to say, hold on, we're going to take this ark and we're going to give it to this guy. He's going to keep it for three months and we're going to step back and we're going to take some time to pray, to think this through, to study this, to find out what we did wrong so we can do it right the next time. That's probably why he was king, right? He was like the number one person in class. He wasn't like me. He didn't bullhead his way through. He stopped to think about what was going on. So, a dead body and a mad king. And that leaves us with bringing God home, take two. This is when he gave it another shot. After three months, after trying to figure out what God wanted him to do, he says, let's try it again. Um, one last Step back before we continue with the story, okay? Just write this down if you're writing down verses. Leviticus 17, 11. David was aware of the law, right? There's this thing called the sacrificial system. I don't know if you've ever heard of that in the Bible or not. But basically, you had to kill a lot of animals so you could hang out with God. That's the way that this works. And so in Leviticus 17, 11, if you read it, the last part of that says this. That it is the blood that, that, that allows for the forgiveness of sin. So it was something about blood. I don't know why God picked blood. I'm not going to try to be a theological expert right now. Let's just accept the fact that God said blood's what you got to have to get rid of sin. And so in the Old Testament, before we had Jesus and all that stuff, they had to actually take animals with them when they went to church. If we still had the sacrificial system today, you would have come to church, you would have gotten out of the car, and you'd been pulling in a goat or a bull. Some of you might have like a pigeon. It'd be crazy in here, wouldn't it? And you're like, let's do that. That sounds fun. No, it's really messy. It's really bloody. I would be passing out. Because I don't do good with blood at all. We were thinking about this the other day. Um, times in my life when I've seen blood. Like when Wendy gave birth, I saw blood. I didn't pass out, thank goodness. When my dad almost cut off my grandpa's leg with a chainsaw, huh, 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 and he turned to me and goes, uh, you sit in the back seat with him while he drives to the hospital. Hey, Paul, you put pressure on it. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, just blood. Ugh. Not my deal. Like if I'm bleeding, that's one thing, but if somebody else is bleeding, no thanks. You want, if I'm ever really, really bad preaching, just cut yourself. Just take out your key and be like, bam, check it out, Paul, because I'll see it gushing. I'll just pass out, sermon over, go home, right? The, the sermon escape plan at the gathering. We love cutters. Um, we really do. So Leviticus, Leviticus 17, 11, that's, that's kind of the law that David knew about. You've got you've to have blood to forgive sin. What you've got to see is because there's a dead body, because David's mad, because he stepped back to think about what God wanted him to do, he's very aware of his sinfulness. He's very aware now that he's the one that caused this innocent man to die. How do we know that? Because the next time he tries to take the ark back, there's no cart. He's got poles. They're carrying it. And here's the crazy thing. Here's what David decides to do. Every six steps, they stopped. 
So here we go. Let's do this thing. One, two, three, four, five, six. Had to be aware of the pole. They stopped right here. And every six steps, they would kill a bull and a calf. It's a long journey, baby. Now, from where they were going, from where they were, they were to Jerusalem, was about 12 miles. I did a little bit of math because I started nerding out on this, okay? I went to Google and typed, how many steps in an average mile? 1,500. That's 250 stops a mile. That's 500 animals a mile times 12. That's 3,000 stops on a 12-mile journey. That's 3,000 bulls, 3,000 calves. Dang, that's a lot of blood. Are you with me? That's a messy walk home. Took a lot of time. There was, a, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a hunter, so I don't know how hard it is to kill a bull. I guess you just like, and then like blood everywhere. I don't know what you're doing with that. But I have no clue. I just know there's, there's no way you're just like doing that and looking good. You are covered in blood. And this is David's journey back. Now, the sacrificial system, it was temporary. It was messy. But it all pointed to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 14. Let me, let me just read that to you real quick. And I'm just going to say while I'm turning there, I'm really glad we don't have to bring animals to church anymore. I mean, to kill them. I know sometimes John and Carolyn will bring a dog that are training. Aren't you glad we don't have the sacrificial system? I send a lot. Give me the dog! Right? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. This is kind of what Leviticus is pointing to. It says this, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that were already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. Everybody go, what? It's hard to follow that. Verse 12, He did not enter by means of the bloods of goats and calves. That's the sacrificial system, okay? So every priest before Jesus had to kill something. And like if you really get into it, and you'll tell, we won't get into it now, but like they had to put like blood on their right earlobe and like their right thumb and like it's crazy stuff to go into the, the presence of God so that God would not kill them because God was holy. This was, this was the system God set up. There's got to be blood or, I'm, or you're going to die. And this is what it was pointing to. Jesus did not enter by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place one time for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer. I love heifer. That's a great word. <laughs> Not about a woman, just saying. Sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then, in verse 14, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will it cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Listen, I know this is like theology, like way out there, but here's what you got to get. There's no way you and I were, are serving Jesus today if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus on the cross. So did David have to stop every six steps? No. He was just so keenly aware of his own unrighteousness, how he had killed a man 
that he was making absolutely sure nobody else was dying the second time. 3,000 stops, 6,000 sacrifices. That's a lot of blood. And when David got the ark back to Jerusalem without anybody else dying, it was worth every one of those steps. Which led to a lot of dancing. Here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. says this, David wearing a linen ephod, We'll come back to that in a minute. Dance before the Lord with all his might. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I mean, David's doing a lot of dancing. And wouldn't you dance like that? So like you were on this journey, you couldn't get the presence of God back to Jerusalem. A guy died, you're trying again, and you finally get to Jerusalem. Have you ever been on a long, long, long trip, and you finally get in your neighborhood? Unless it's like 2.30 in the morning, and you're about to fall asleep, you're pretty pumped. Especially if you have to pee. I don't know what it is about the closer you get to home. It's like a magnetic pull, isn't it? It's like, I got to go. I, I'm, I've got, and you're fumbling with the keys, getting me in the house now. I don't know what it is, but there's something about going home, getting back after a long trip. Man, it's just good to be done with the journey. When I first met Wendy, she's living in Columbia, and I'm youth, I was youth pastor at First Assembly up here. I can remember so many times I would, I would go see her. And when smart people leave on Saturday nights, you can drive home and get a good night's sleep and go to church on Sunday morning, especially because you're on staff. Stupid people that are in love leave early Sunday morning after staying up on a date until like 2 in the morning on Saturday because you just want to see her as much as you possibly can. And you get in the car like at 5 on Sunday morning so you can get home in time to get a shower to go to church. And I can remember, it's like two and a half hours from Columbia to here. I can remember leaving Columbia being 10 minutes into the drive and, and crying. Not because I missed Wendy, because I was only 10 minutes into the drive. <laughs> I'm going to die, because I am so freaking tired, and I cannot go to sleep. And I would get home, you could ask me, what'd you see on the trip? I don't know. I don't remember any of it. And I'd be so happy to get in the shower, and be like, I'm home, that trip is done. Until the next time I go back down, I'm stupid and do the same thing. David was just thrilled to be back. And he danced like crazy. So, what would you say to a king in his underwear? <laughs> what we know at this point, let's just recap. David gets a guy killed. Then David gets smart about respecting God. He takes a really long journey for 12 miles, kills a lot of animals. There's a lot of blood to cover a lot of sin, and that all led to a lot of dancing. And this is where we meet Michal, his wife. She's the king's wife. She's not keen on the dancing. Verse 16, we already read it, says that she despised him, which is not good for a marriage, is it? Married folk, like when your spouse not, not disagrees, despises you in her heart. This is not a good sign. Um, the king, you've got to understand, the king doesn't know any of that. He's still, he's having the best day of his life. This is the best day of his political career. He has finally got the ark 
The most prized possession of his country back to his country. People, you got to pick their, their, yeah, they're bloody and they're, it's, it's crazy, but they are cheering. They are, there is dancing in the streets. This is like Cleveland when LeBron James said, I'm coming back, right? This is crazy celebration in the streets. They're going nuts. He has had his best day. He goes home to his wife. And let's just read what he says. Verse 20, it says, When David returned home to bless his household. He wasn't going home to take a nap. He was having the best day, and he was going home to bless his house. And here's what, he, here's what happens. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. This reminds me of the day that I went to youth camp and got saved. And I came home, and I was like, sky, you've been, you been to camp? You know what it's like to go to camp and meet Jesus? It's something about going to camp and meet Jesus. You can't meet him here, you know, too much distraction. But over the camp, you know, there's no, no technology. It's just you and, like, other people your age that want to kill you at every sporting event they play. And something about that makes you meet Jesus. And so yeah, I met Jesus, and I'm just sky high. And I came home, and I don't mean, this is my dad just being a dad, right? I'm a dad now, so I totally get it. And I remember I came home, I walked into the door, coming off camp, like, I'm, woo, me and Jesus. And the first thing my dad said was, take out the trash. <laughs> what happened to camp? <laughs> it's gone. Like, just like that, camp was gone. Just like that, I want to punch my dad. You know, forget about the call of God on my life. I know God made me for a purpose, but now it's to kill him. I'm sure of it, right? Right after I take out the trash. It's crazy. That's kind of what happened to David. His best day. And he's met at the door with this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how the king has distinguished himself today. Disrobing in front of slave girls, acting like a commoner. That's how, his, that's how she talked to him, to the king. She speaks sarcastically. And why does she react like that? Is it possible that David was just a really bad dancer? I don't know. I've got a clip. Can we just show that clip? Uh, just some proof of really bad dancing. You'll need volume too. It is possible that David was just a really bad dancer. Um, if you've ever seen me dance, it would be possible for you to despise me in your heart as well um, because of all the bad memories that I would give you. I don't think she despised him because he's a bad dancer. Now, some of you are not, you weren't raised Pentecostal, so dancing in church would have caused you to freak out too. But um, in the Pentecostal church, a lot of people dance in church, you know, and they all looked exactly the same. It's kind of like this little... Pentecostal hop thing going, you know, and I can remember growing up going, why? 
Why, why would I do that? Like, there's people that really know how to dance. Maybe they should, we should have, like, professional church dancers, right? Bring them in. Now we do that. We like churches that are really cool have professional dance teams, right? Maybe he was a bad dancer. I don't think that, I don't think that was it at all. Is it possible that she was mad at him because he really was half naked? And some people will even say that he was naked. Now, you're really getting down when you're stripping to dance, right? I don't think it was that at all. It said he was wearing a linen ephod, which, which is just an undergarment, you know. So he had like the kingly robe stuff, and he took all that off. Because I'm sure robes get in the way when you're really trying to dance, right? So he takes it all off, and he's just got on his linen ephod. He's cool. It's probably like, feels good. And he's just going to town. I think if he had been naked, she probably had every right to look at him and go, Dude, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? You're a king. He wasn't, it wasn't that at all. Here's why I believe she got mad. And if you're writing something down, this would be something good to write down. It's because those who don't value forgiveness will never understand the actions of those who do. Let me just say it one more time. We're almost done. Those who don't value forgiveness will never understand the actions of those who do. So that kind of brings us full circle back to the verses that we read. Back to the part where a king looks at his wife and says, you're, you're an idiot. Because his response to her, when she gave him a hard time about how he danced, let's read it again, was this. It was before the Lord. I wasn't dancing for you. How can, how can Elaine on Seinfeld do a dance like that in public? She's not really dancing for the people there. How, how could David so undignify himself before because he wasn't dancing for the people? It was before the Lord. And by the way, wife, the Lord who chose me and not your dad. The Lord who chose me and nobody from your house. I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this. No, 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 no. Hey. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Listen. He said to her, he'd become even more undignified than what she had seen that day. Because he wasn't dancing for her. David had an audience of one. Mikhail had an audience of many. And here's the big idea today. An audience of one is greater than an audience of many. We have this pressure, don't we, to play to the crowd. We have this pressure to put on our best whenever a lot of people show up. Do you know, you know preachers that I, I just love? I love preachers who can preach their heart out like if it's two people. You know why they can do that? Not because they're stupid and we think, what's wrong with you? Like, can't you see it's just me? Because they're not, they're not playing to that audience. They're playing to an audience of one. Uh, bands that can come in and stand up on a stage and you see them in front of thousands and they are amazing. And they stand up and I've done this as a youth pastor. You like pay them lots of money and they show up and you go, dude, I don't know where my kids are, but I'm sorry there's only 15. And they're like, it's all good, man. And they get up on the stage and do for 15 what they do for thousands. Those are the bands that youth pastors will keep in business. But why do they do that? Because they're not playing for 15. They're playing for an audience of one. 
And when you start to, when you start to see your audience as God, it changes what you think about men. Let's just try to wrap it up. With the question that's hard to ask and the question that's harder to answer, and here it is, are we willing to play the fool? And right away you hate that question because it's got the word fool in it, right? Or you love it because you're thinking about Mr. T, right? I pity the fool. I pity the fool. My prediction, pain, right? Are we willing to play? David was a king, and he was willing to play the fool. Our answer will have everything to do with who we see as our audience. Interestingly enough, I'm going to make three more statements, and then we're going to pray and be done. Um, the last verse of 2 Samuel 6 says that Michal never had children. So I'm going to make a statement here, okay? And it's just based on that text spiritually. This is not a statement physically to women here who are struggling to get pregnant and all that. That's a big deal in our, in our country. I get it. But just spiritually speaking, okay? Just listen to these statements. Mikhail chose an audience of many, and her pride limited her ability to bear fruit beyond herself. David chose an audience of one, and humility increased his legacy for generations to come. You see the difference? The church, not just our church, but church in general in America, do you know the church is losing influence in our culture. Do you know that? You know why? Because we're playing to an audience of many. The church today in America plays to an audience of many. It's not because it's not bad to have a big church, but if our if our audience is, what will they think? What can we do to convince them to come? How can we convince them to stay? If that's our audience, we will never bear fruit beyond ourselves. But when our audience is one, oh God, what do you want? How can we please you? Man, that will be a church that would be talked about for generations to come. The fruit that Jesus, I, I didn't look it up, I should have, I'm a bad pastor, I'm sorry. But there's a verse in John that says that he wants us to bear fruit that remains. The fruit that remains comes from people, from churches, from individuals, and even businesses. It comes from organizations that play to an audience of one. They just want to please Jesus. And because of that, they bear fruit that remains. I want, to, I want to challenge you with this. I want to ask you to be a fool. Oh, let's have more fun than that. We're getting ready to close. I never hardly ever ask you to turn to the person next to you and say anything to them. But I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, be a fool, fool. Now, that was horrible. That was horrible. And I'll tell you why. Because you were already thinking, I can't turn to the person next to me because, like, they're my spouse or my child or they're my family. But you've been wanting to call them a fool for a long, long time. And I just gave you permission. I just turned, I said, you could turn to them and say, be a fool, fool. And I'm trying to listen and see which fool you really emphasize, right? It's like, be a fool, fool. Most of you are like, be a fool, fool. So one more time, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to tell them, be a fool, fool. That's so much fun. It's just fun to watch y'all laugh at being called a fool. 
<laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> you call me a fool, fool. An audience of one is greater than an audience of many. And when we understand that, believe it or not, you will find yourself saying, yes, I am willing to play the fool. I will look foolish to men in order to give my best to God. And the flip side of that is, and here's the sad thing, that Mikkel gave her best to men and looked foolish before God. So in, in reality, we're kind of going to play the fool either way, aren't we? <laughs> I got you. We're going to play the fool either way. We're either going to be a fool before men or we're going to be foolish before God. And I just want to encourage you to be a fool here. We should get t-shirts. I'm a fool, fool. <laughs> be a fool here. Don't be a fool there. And, and every now and then you're going to find yourself doing things and people around you are going to say, what? Can't you imagine, I know we've got to pray and wrap up. Can't you imagine um, Dave, King David's leadership team meeting when he was like, they're like, why are we getting so many bulls? Well, we're going to stop every six steps and kill one. Dude, let's just do every 12 steps. We'll save the money. Are you serious? Every six steps? Do you know how many steps that is? Do you know how many bulls and calves we're going to kill? Do you know how much money that is? Are you sure that's fiscally responsible? Do we really need to stop that many times? Well, well, what if we just stop halfway and kill like 20? It's like, no, every six steps. There's no way you could ever convince me that people that were, that were speaking into David's life in that moment ever looked at him and said, good plan, chief. No. They looked at him and said, are you crazy? And he went, maybe, but I'll be undignified before God and before men. I will be undignified. I will, I'm not taking any chances. We're stopping every six steps. There'll be a lot of blood. And when we get back to Jerusalem, I will be the biggest dancer there. I'm calling you to play the fool, to not be afraid to try things that look a little different and might not even seem necessary. Just in order to obey the audience of one.